0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of DadCast. I'm your host, JP, joined by the other host, Mr. Nick Martin. Hello, Nick. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, JP? I'm real well. Well, aside from a little bit stress <laughs> earlier, which we may or may not get into in this episode, uh, everything is just fine and dandy. It's a beautiful Friday here. Uh, today on the show, we are uh, honored and pleased to have an, a very accomplished actor, voice actor. And of course, today, the most important thing, he is a dad. Welcome to the show, Mr. Greg Ellis. Mr. Ellis, how are you, sir?
1: I'm great. Thanks, JP. How are you, Nick? I'm good. Good to be on the show. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes. <laughs> thanks for thanks for taking time out of your, I'm sure, very, very busy schedule to uh, hang out with us. Regular old dads here on DadCast. Now, the first and most important question, Greg, well, maybe not most important, but uh, the rite of passage here on DadCast is, of course, are you a dad? Yes. Yes. How many kids do you have?
1: 29.
0: 29. You're right up oh, there with I I just, I
1: just figured no one's ever answered that before uh, that way. So no, I have two boys.
0: Two boys. Well, that's pretty impressive. 29 kids. Nick's working on as far as 337 as far as we know at this point.
1: That's right. <laughs> You are, uh, you are a you uh, are a nimble fellow. That's all I can say.
0: <laughs> so, uh, how old are your uh, how old are your boys?
1: Seventeen and fourteen.
0: Seventeen and fourteen. Have awesome. you had uh, now? I know there's a story to tell uh regarding your <laughs> particular case and when it comes to your path um and adventure in fatherhood um i'm just gonna kind of sit back because i know you and nick you parallel each other a little bit when it comes to this story i'm, I'm going to sit back i'm going to ask you that question what is that story when it comes to your role as a father and uh, some of the uh, hardships that you have been going through
1: well, hardships, I mean, I write about this in my book, The Respondent*. So the hardships was uh, in the span of 24, I 20 years married, two young boys, and in the span of 24 hours, I was ushered from my home in handcuffs um, without cause um, and uh, incarcerated first of five incarcerations. Uh, subjected to a temporary restraining order in divorce court on the basis of a false allegation. I learned, uh, probably too slow, but quick enough, uh, eventually, that um, there is no presumption of innocence or due process in the one branch of our legal system that should provide it, uh, and that's family law. Um, and uh, just the myriad of complexities of this uh, state-sanctioned um, Well, there's no other way to say it. It sounds a bit uh, um, hyperbolic, uh, kidnapping or dadnapping. And um, the the way the system is set up, uh, it's, it's biased against fathers and dads, but it's also biased against both parents um, to find a way out of a legal system where there really isn't, uh, for the most part a way out. So, you know, I, I, crossed that legal Rubicon, I thought when I entered the court system that I was in America and the justice system and I'd see a judge and get justice and have integrity and, um, and little did I know I was entering the star chamber where in the wild west of family law there are no, there are no rules um and the sheriffs and the and the judges are uh, writing their own rules so that's i kind of documented that and and went through that experience um and then created a charity a charitable extension from my project the respondent um called children and parents united uh which is long form for cpu and um you know, we have a a wonderful board together and we're building out programs and workshops and cost, cost effective programs and workshops for people to learn how to keep out of court, how to avoid the many divorce traps and, um, how to have a sustainable marriage. Um, and really I think part of what I talk about is the mythopoetic reintroducing the idea that all men aren't bad. Um, and, uh, We shouldn't necessarily be smashing the metaphorical patriarchy. And um, uh, rather than talking about toxic femininity as a kind of bulwark for toxic masculinity, we should maybe talk about more positive and heroic forms of masculinity and femininity so we can champion um, both sexes and all peoples and genders.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That was uh, the best answer to a question I think I've ever had on this dadcast. And uh, you ain't kidding, man. Unfortunately, um, this is too common. Yeah. It, 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 no matter. I thankfully I've been very, very. I, I wouldn't say lucky, but uh, fortunate that my family life, my lady, my kids, we we haven't had to experience anything such as that. But I know many, many friends who have been put example- have. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. wish honestly. I wish I would have come across you about ten years ago
2: when I was going through all of this and. It's you're right. I've spent probably forty, fifty thousand dollars on attorney fees, court fees, um, dealing with my ex, and and getting custody of my kids. And after about nine years, it finally worked out. I my daughter came to live with me. My boys stayed with their mom. Um, but it's finally to a point where we've agreed to only talk about the kids and not argue amongst each other anymore and do what's best for them. And it's, it's, but it, the fact that it took nine years for that of nine years of lies and just bashing each other was terrible. And I, I wish there would have been a, a guidebook to guide me through this other than hiring attorneys saying, well, sorry, you're a guy, you don't have any rights. The The mom's going to get all the rights. She's, you know, whether she's a bad person or not, she's still going to get all the rights. And
1: yeah, we still have this outdated approach to to, to child rearing. Yeah. You know, mothering and fathering is important and it, and in equal value. And it's the quality of that individual that matters, not necessarily the paradigm of whether you are a woman or a mother or a male and a father. And um, to your point, the, the system doesn't offer relief. And many times it doesn't offer relief to the to the to the point where. You believe you've entered this Kafka trap, this kind of dystopian, authoritarian maze that you 're the only one living in, and how can this be, and your world is turned upside down and I think you know when I, when i when I went through my experience, I reached out and looked uh, for help and uh, whether it was books or workshops or and there was nothing out there in, there in fact, the only thing I found on the internet in terms of material and literature was um books written by attorneys uh you know for one hundred and sixty dollars to just kind of you know Get you into their law firm and be representing you and get the retainer signed and rack up the billable hours. Or for the most part, back then, it was books written by women for women on how to ruin your husband, get the, <laughs> get the cash and prizes of divorce. So yeah. there was only one book, and that was Alec Baldwin's book, A Promise to Ourselves or A Promise to Myself. I think it was Promise to Myself, anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, he was kind enough to write the, the, um, the introduction. Uh, the to, to forward uh, for my book, the respondent, because um, I I committed to writing that book as a as a way of paying it forward, as a way of even if it's there just as a, a papered beacon, you know that, that people can just know that there's some someone has gone through what you're going through uh, as a man, particularly with our culture, cultural conversation that talks about. You know how we 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 seem to be devaluing men. I mean the, the the military men that I've spoken to who've they're risking their lives fighting in wars away from their families and I don't know if they do or don't but let's say hypothetically. They don't agree with the war they're fighting They're still going to fight that war because that's what they signed up for they return home and they are thrust into this legal system where they have no right. They end up homeless. They're already dealing with PTSD. The layers and levels of trauma and the inescapability of this system on top of that is, I think is a national health crisis that few people I've seen out there want to talk about. It's a difficult subject and most people don't really want to think about it uh, until it happens to them. Um, so yeah, it's a particularly challenging subject.
2: Yeah. I don't know if for, for you. Did you find like when I was, talking about it and bringing it up on social media and asking, trying to find advice. I kept getting bashed because, Oh, you're talking bad about your ex wife. You're talking bad about the mother of your children. And it's like, I'm just trying to find answers. I'm trying to figure out my way through this. So I think that's kind of a big stigma too, is where men go and try to ask for help or they try to explain what's going on. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you're just a terrible person because you're bashing the, the mom.
1: So just- yeah. It, it, look, it's 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 the, the oxymoron here, the paradox in this system, um, and it's really I, I focus a lot on the false allegation of domestic violence. Many of the st- statistics that we see out in the, in the cultural conversation are incorrect, and they're purposefully incorrect for a reason, uh, because this this trope of all men are violent and all women are victims. Um, It's very successful in our current cancel, cancel culture uh, where victimhood is the new social currency, and its economy is booming, and where victimhood isn't held accountable, responsibility will never follow. So it's really important that we talk about, you know, the real victims of domestic violence, how they get justice. I do believe that domestic violence should be tried in criminal court, not the quasi kangaroo court of family law, um, where you know the accused actually gets Miranda rights and the right to speak to an attorney, et cetera, et cetera, but the accuser gets their day in court and alongside a prosecution proves their case in front of a judge or a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a serious offence, but at the same time, when we look at the rates of intimate partner violence, serious intimate partner, partner violence, and it's 48% to 52% male, female. That's pretty much equal in terms of, you know, abuse has no gender. And when we look at the, the rates of false accusations, it's up there over 70% of false allegations. So what happens to those individuals who are falsely accused, who have been rinsed and washed through the cycle in the system, oftentimes losing their livelihoods, oftentimes losing their ability to to um, even remain connected with their children. These were once loving. Uh, present parents um, and just because they're fathers and men they are devalued and they're not as important No, they are important. We do need otherwise. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a generation of younger men and boys who are going to be tomorrow's warriors leaders politicians doctors uh, first responders teachers who aren't balanced uh, We need to have that balance, you know I spoke with Caitlin Flanagan on my show, and she um she said it takes a, a mother to raise a boy, it takes a father to raise a man, and I think that good fathering uh, and being present and um, yes, if you're a dad that goes out and earns a living, uh you know and and there's a, you're married to a stay-at-home mom or the two of you are working, there's so many different or a, a stay-at-home dad we hear about a lot these days, um, how we interpersonally relate with compassion and empathy, and um, find the best. Uh, non-helicopter parenting for our children. And I think men and fathers provide that risk, that reward, uh, of taking chances and risk, the nature, go out to nature and you explore. And mothers, to a degree, it's that nurturing, you know, little Tommy falls over, mom's like, Oh, are you okay? And bring them close and hug and nurture. And that dad is like, Oh, come on, get back on the horse. Let's get back up after the bad tackle on the pitch. And away we go down the field. And, and that's a good balance, I think, archetypally. Right.
0: I agree. Um, have you navigated your way out of this? fight and when it comes to you personally and your children and that that in
1: that life um well you know in terms of the psychological warfare that's it's you know i've i've become more at ease uh and accepted um much of what happened um i talk about at times i, I you know i talk with um dads and some mums who are going through this uh and i call what they're going through um or they're close to what they talk about when they have suicidal ideations, suicide by living grief. So there is a definitive point to an end of life. No parent should have to bury their own child. There is a grieving process that one goes through when that happens. But that ambivalent grief, that living grief of how you you comprehend that almost insurmountable um, sadness, stricken with a, a deep sense of Loss of the, the the most important meaning of your life um, can be uh, too much for many parents to bear, um, and then you, you add on top of that the system that pulls you into court where attorneys make arguments so have i have I managed to end uh, well I guess you know at the end of the day the war ends with self you know with a, with a truce with yourself, so whatever others decide to do whether they continue to, you know, uh, rally the troops and send the cavalry in. Um, you can uh, you, you, and you wave the white flag and it's still not ending. Um, you can at least find there are ways. I mean, I, I write this in this. I have a free uh, downloadable ebook called The Code, which for people who, who read The Respondent, they can download that for free. Uh, the website and that's really immediate interventions into well-being uh both philosophical and phenomenological kind of emotional tips if you will um if you find yourself in this situation that that will really help somatically um calm the organism self-regulate the self um not legal advice because good grief i'm not an attorney thank goodness right Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, you talk about the cavalry's coming at you, when I was younger, I thought the cavalry was coming. And then I got older and realized I was the cavalry. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you, you know, the cavalry that isn't always charging into battle. You have to know when to sheath the sword and when to tend to the horses and, you know, um, just retreat.
0: Look at that analogy right there, Nick. Huh? Yeah. Wow. I ain't going to lie, Greg Ellis. I, I, Typically, I lead all these podcasts, but I, you are one of the smartest guys I've talked to with the big words. And uh, yeah,
1: big words. What big words have I used? <laughs> oh, a
0: ton of them. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you see your uh, your boys very often?
1: I don't see my boys anymore.
0: Okay, that's that was a question I did not know. Ah, uh, that's i couldn't even I'm imagine. Yeah. yeah that sucks i 'm very very sorry to see that Thanks, guys that- well
1: look you know what i wasn't able to i wasn't able to um oh, i wasn't able to uh effectuate change enough, even though I fought for five five plus years six years nearly um, it, you know when when you're up against i did i did dr true pinsky's show recently and I, and I talked about the panic disorder that my ex wife suffered through when she wasn't on medication he said i don't know about panic disorder it sounds like psychopathy so yeah. i think when you when you when when you are faced with the original title for my book i maybe this will make you chuckle was how to survive when your spouse wants you dead and has the legal ways and means to kill you um because it's a little, it, it a, it's a little wordy <laughs> well it uh, yeah it's a bit long um, the um, entire was, cover right <laughs> um but you know i mean look the the the, the crazy thing about this system is, and why, you know, what, another reason I wrote the book is be, I didn't want to write the book. I had to. Um, I wrote it to make sense of the government-sponsored devastation of mine and thousands of families' uh, lives uh, and, and the destruction of family. Uh, I think we need more family champions. <laughs> I wrote to let my kids know that I hadn't abandoned them. Um, I had to memorialize it somehow because I didn't get a voice in court. Um, I wrote to tell other similarly situated men and fathers and and often women and mothers, too, that they're not alone. And perhaps most of all, I wrote it to to ring the alarm bell about a broken system and call for social change and family law reform and improvement.
0: Now, is there, uh, you know, they're going to be adults here soon. Is there any chance of reconciliation here in a few years when it comes to that?
1: well there's always a look my door is wide open uh, for you know I, I didn't ever close my door yeah, I, was, yeah. I was shoved I mean, away let me
0: rephrase do you think on their side i mean granted you can't talk to them you don't know but i, I guess deep down is there that oh, no there has to be that hope is it possible in a few years that everything's going to be better
1: i think look, i think no no family is perfect even families that are intact if you will there is always some dysfunctional functioning um or insecure functioning or, disfun- or insecure dysfunctionality i don't know um you know families of origin are, are tricky and prickly and relationships are tough and communication hard um but i think one of the the most pernicious aspects of family law is um And and this corresponds to families as well that are intact, not just going through the divorce um, quagmire or come out the other end, is um, parental alienation, also known as turning the child. Uh, It's an umbrella term that uh, details a series of actions or behaviors um, with the malicious intent to have the the children hate a once beloved parent. And that's the key, a once beloved parent. And and those signs of parental alienation are um, multitudinous and varied, um, the presence of a, a prior positive relationship between the child and the and then-becoming the then or now-rejected parent, the absence of maltreatment or seriously deficient parenting, um, lack of ambivalence in the child's view, i.e. seeing one parent as all good and the other as all bad, these are all aspects of loyalty and betrayal that the young psychological as- adolescent mind as it's growing and forming through experience and reflective mirroring um is 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 cementing in its foundational core belief system and that fear-based mentality that uh that lack of trust the the insecurity of boundaries um that gets instilled in a core belief system can have really damaging effects and lasting effects through um, you know twenties, thirties, forties, and sometimes for the rest of one's life. So, what I talk about and why I talk about it. Um, through the lens of my, my story and what happened to me. And by the way, I'm, no, I, I'm not a, uh, an angel, you know, I made mistakes and I put my mistakes in the book too, I have flaws. It's just tomorrow I vow to make better mistakes. I think we, we, can, we can all come together. And for men, I think it's particularly difficult because we, we, we we're we sold on this canard that we have to be stoic and hold our feet, grow up, be a man, boys don't cry. Yeah. And I think there is an aspect of that. that I can see that where, where there's some merit to that, depending on the age of the child and the, uh, the experience of the child and whether they're confident and outgoing or insecure and a bit of a loner, or they feel like they're being left behind. Um, but at the same time, why not talk about our feelings and emotions you know, it's okay. I wish I wish there were one day on social media where we could all kind of shut everything down and everyone could just be honest rather than pre- presenting the best version they can invent of themselves. And we can all just, you know, we can all seek our 15 minutes of anonymity rather than fame and just be honest.
0: I think you just hit a the new billion dollar idea, Greg. Uh, it can be the anti-social media where we do the exact opposite and project the truth. Hmm. I don't yeah, people would take on, take it up, though. You know, we can try, though. We can we can certainly try. Yeah.
1: I, I often talk about anti social media and uh, the reverse psychology embedded in the algorithm of these uh, big tech pl- tech platforms at at inception, um, and how device dependency has got hold of us. And I think it's very difficult for for all of us, but particularly maybe for younger generations who have grown up in the age of modernity, and the the age of technology. Um, to to be able to put down the device, uh, put you know, step away from the screen, uh, actually be in person, be with people, or be in nature, and and just look around rather than. I think we're all we're all many of us have these devices in front of us, and we're exercising from the eyes down rather than the neck up, yeah. you know. And and that neck up business of you know meditation and how we find uh, relief. Um, with sometimes the unbearable suffering of being, which it can be, Every, I, I believe everyone's struggling with something. Um, even those, we, we look up and we go, Oh gosh, look at that. Their lives they are amazing. Look there. I see them at, at film shoots and celebrities and this, that, and the rest of it. Everyone's struggling with something.
0: Well, absolutely. And yeah. you know, and when it comes to social media, yeah, you know, I'm guilty too. I, I project the happy times, the good times when um something real special just happened with my daughter and myself or my son or both of them. And most recently, Halloween. We posted the Halloween pictures, we're trick-or-treating, everything's great and dandy, but you know, I didn't Decide to film this morning when I had to yank my daughter out of bed from her legs because after asking her to wake up 15 times, she wouldn't do so. And then the ensuing crying fit that happened afterwards. And don't get me wrong. It wasn't abusive. It was a gentle pull. We just had to get her on her feet. So she was awake. Uh, but yeah, that just doesn't really reflect well on social media. In the backlash, you can imagine with, as you mentioned earlier, all people in the cancel culture and everyone wants to come out and the trolls and attack me for how could you do such a thing to your daughter? Like, Man, we just got to get to school. But yeah. I'm thinking I, I might I, actually do that here and there, Nick, and it, we'll see what happens. A little be a little social. I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be careful.
2: Like so, when I was going through all the the initial. My wife, my ex-wife took the kids. I didn't see them. I was posting honest, truthful crap on social media and getting bashed for it. And, you know, posts were getting deleted by Facebook because of the negativity in it. Oh, so no. it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's does, does it work? Maybe do, do people care? No, I, I don't. I think people want to see the happy stuff. They don't, they don't yeah. want to believe that everybody's going through crap and stuff at different times in their lives. So I, I don't know. Put some humor on it. Yeah. I, I think what you explained this morning would be actually kind of hilarious. Was it the younger daughter or the older daughter?
0: Uh, I definitely wasn't yanking
2: a 17 year old out of her bed. Okay. <laughs> hey, just, I've had to yank my 17 year old out of bed. It's not
0: fun. <laughs> Greg, this, this may come as <clears throat> strange, awkward, and maybe not even wanted uh, on your end from me, but I'm going to propose it anyway for you. Um, And it's not a sympathy move at all, but I I am officially making you an honorary dad of my children. Wow. So if and when we need to send them for summer camp or something, I'm going to, I'm to send them to Greg Ellis's house and you can get your dad time. Oh, in.
1: I didn't know. Do I get a say in this?
0: <laughs> of course you do
1: so we can negotiate terms
0: yes absolutely
1: terms <laughs> can i interview the kids first i mean the interview might be at a fun place like you know a, a, a fun uh adventure park or you know i don't know but you know it's not really an interview but um gosh uh all, all joking aside because we'll i
0: know we'll, we'll, we'll do it together the first time make sure everyone's happy you know but you know there you go there's the offers on table
1: do you know what's important is it's you know you, we, we, we we joke but it, it is important the extended family the friends the uncles you know growing up in northern England where I grew up you know the, even, even friends of my parents who weren't um, bloodline if you will uh, we called them uncle and auntie you know because they were just they felt like family and I think um, you know blood makes you related but loyalty makes you family and these loyal people that were around us well, I uncle so-and-so and auntie so-and-so. So mentorship as well. I think we've, we've lost our way with, um, with that, uh, with some of the organizations we've seen, you know, falling into uh, controversy. Or controversy. I forget, I forget which is the correct, correct colloquialism, being English and American. Um, you know, with the Boy Scouts, and you know, even the Catholic Church, and just places of faith and meaning, and and uh, fellowship and connection, um, and this propensity to just be divisive and derisive, and find the worst thing about someone else, and push to the extreme, and getting you know hyper political about issues, and we should we should really be i think finding more ways to kind of knit back the tapestry of our collective community and how we can find the find and empower the best in people because everyone has that that potential to be good and better
0: yeah absolutely and you know i found in in at least in my life the community they come together and especially family too under tragic instances 911 look what happened to I mean, at least the United States during this time and even my small neck of the woods where I lived, it took a tragic event to bring everyone together. And it was if it, it wasn't under tragic events, it was nice for a few years there. Everyone got along. They believed in the same thing. And if they didn't, they weren't fighting each other over it. And right. uh, I just find that sad. I, I mean, do we need to have some tragic to make things good again? How do we navigate and get to that community Especially for family, and and even you know the parents and the parents of other kids, and how, how do we do that? How does it happen? Because in the history of life, it hasn't happened yet. You know, we get we get little fits of it, but it's just sad.
2: It's especially it's the last terrible. couple of years have been really bad with
0: separation and. But we we don't want to get political. <laughs> we can if we want, but yeah, I mean the political landscape is just everyone. I, I'm not left. I'm not right. I think everyone should be right in the middle or do their best to get to that point without killing each other and fighting over it. But we don't we don't need to go there unless you want to go there. But I mean, I, I did the deep dive on the Wikipedia on, on you, Greg, and, and I know your stance. So we don't, you know,
1: (laughs) I don't, I don't even know what it says on Wikipedia. This sandwich, like I have opinions on quite a, quite a lot of stuff, you know, and I'm a
0: controversial figure in the fan base having been a vocal supporter of may I
1: Yo, you say, whatever you want,
0: Donald Trump, Jordan Peterson and Charlie Kirk Wikipedia. (laughs) It says it right there.
1: See, Well, there you go, like that That's how wrong true. is that so so not not let me preface this by saying uh, that um, you know I have my own personal beliefs, but you know we live in America where where anyone 's entitled to you know support and champion and cast right. their vote for whoever they like and i 'm not i don 't subscribe to the whole you know, 48 million people, uh, half the population are bad people because they vote one way or the other. Um, but just let me set the record straight. I didn't even know that was on there. Yeah.
0: Um, well, thankfully, it's Wikipedia. You can edit it yourself.
1: Oh, well, there we go. Um, <laughs> so actually, it's, quite, it's quite humorous to, to actually, like, I'm a like I wonder who wrote that. Um, no, I've never been a, a supporter, vocal or otherwise, of uh, uh, former President Trump. Um, I don't, I'm not a subscriber to the orange man, bad Trump derangement syndrome, where everything in the world, uh, that's possibly wrong in my personal life through to, um, you know, national politics is down to that one individual. Yeah. Uh, I think I wrote once that I respect the office of the president. I don't necessarily need to like. The person, or agree with the policies of the person who's in office, but I'm always going to be respectful. I love America. I love the traditions of of America. I think the Constitution is just astonishing document. Uh, the founding fathers who wrote it were just, in that time and that context, astounding people. But see, this is where it's you know. The cancel culture today is if you don't agree with some of the extreme far left postmodern progressive ideology with like the aocs of the world uh, rather than the moderates if you don't agree with that ideology uh, which is very extreme then you're immediately tossed to the other side as alt-right and neo-nazi and etc it's such a it's a reductivism to the highest order You know, on my show, I had one of the leading, I invited one of the leading members of Antifa and one of the leading members of of Proud Boys on. Why? Do I agree with either of their ideologies? No, of course I don't. But unless we bring extremes together to have conversations as individuals, we're just going to be perpetrating more and more hatred, more and more division right. and and more and more negativity. So, um, yeah, I, uh, Jordan Peterson, um, I, he's a very interesting fellow and I think he's done a lot of good for a lot of uh, a lot of people. Um, that's all I'll say on that. So I have vocally spoken about him. Charlie Kirk, I've never mentioned. I think I may have, uh, I think he's the uh, t- uh, Turning Point USA fellow um, who gets into it with, you know, people on the ideological left and right, you know. But um, no, who, who knew politics? Who knew that some random person knew what I was thinking? I didn't realize. I have to get them out of my mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, get them out of there. Oh, that's the, that's the beauty of Wikipedia. I can go in there right now and uh, type up that, you know, J.P. Pierce uh was right alongside you co starring pirates of the caribbean with you and no one will know the difference
1: it's bizarre. you know what's bizarre as well is that you know i've really i've rarely talked about politics if ever before 2000 what 2018 i think and i i, I endorsed i publicly endorsed andrew yang in his presidential run as a registered democrat I I got behind him. I was somewhat vocal about Tulsi Gabbard too, but I was looking for a a Democrat that wasn't running on the identity politics ticket because I think identity politics eventually devours itself. And, um, you know, Andrew, I got to know and I was a fervent supporter of his. So isn't that interesting? No mention of that, no mention of my relationship with Andrew Yang, but apparently I'm a vocal supporter of President Trump.
0: I can literally edit it right now, but when, I've got a background. Oh, go <laughs> you, know, like,
1: you have my permission. We can do that live on air. If you know what to do, then sure. Uh, yeah. So what's, what's it under politics? Uh, uh, well, under the
0: Wikipedia. You got your, you got your career, politics, filmography, references and external links. Uh, I find it surprising. There's not much personal life. Most, you know, most people, especially someone of your caliber and, you know, you're very, very popular fella uh, there that that section is on there. Nothing. I mean, and you'd think. Especially with what you've gone through, what you are going through, the books you have written on the topics, uh, that that would be in there. Um, It is not. So maybe I'll uh, spend some time today and add that. And I will take it directly from this very interview. So you can know people out there when you see that section on the Wikipedia. JP was telling the truth.
1: There you go. Thank you. Yeah, I don't, I should, I guess I should check things like that, but um, you know, people are going to write what they're going to write and they're going to yeah. make up stuff. and, and uh, you know, and, but the thing is it does get pernicious. It does spread like a sulfuric miasma as people start believing really he is. Oh, he did. Yes, he did. Well, God hate him. Don't like him. I mean, good grief. It's so easy to fall into those, um, those anti-social media traps. You know i've been called a few names just because i have you know expressed support for a couple of people based on a particular opinion or a particular action that they've taken like one was jk rowling she was posting all these wonderful artistic drawings by seven, eight, 9 year olds on social media and i thought that was just so lovely yeah. to, just, to just shine a light on children in that artwork and um, Ayan Hersha Ali is another. She uh, escaped um, uh, an oppressive an, an Islamic state. She'd had genital mutilation. She found her way to Holland, uh, was a janitor, and then became a member of parliament. What an amazing, empowering story about a woman. So I just said I support them both. The next thing you know, I was a transphobe. I was a racist. I was, you name it. And, you know, I'm like, what? what? Hang on a second. I'm not, a, there's no, I'm not, a, how do you know what I think?
0: Oh, it's the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Let's switch gears here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've got a, a personal question uh, that I'm curious about because, well, a little backstory here. Um, I work in radio, been working in radio for the last 20 years, uh, mostly rock and roll radio, but I have done some voiceover work in my day. And I know you, sir, are a superstar when it comes to voiceover talent uh, over 100 different video games and all kinds of things. Where and how did you get your start doing voiceover work?
1: Oh, I uh, think it was around maybe 20 years ago. I was having a conversation with my manager at the time. I was, I'd I'd been doing film and TV and she just said to me, have you ever done voiceover? And I said, what's that? And she said, oh, it's, you know, you do cartoons and you can do animation. You can do animated feature films and commercials and promos and i said well what what does it inte- like? what what do you do and so well if you you know if a cartoon you would you know make up your you would interpret the character breakdown for a voice and a character on a cartoon show and go and record i said i can do that and then of course she followed up with well it's not that easy it's kind of a closed shot but so, you know, you need to be uber talented and it's there's not that many opportunities and um and i often i often have the uh what i call the kuyashi mentality it's a japanese word for inspiration from negative feedback so if someone says i can't you can't do that or it's hard to do that or you won't achieve that internally i say to myself you want to bet or i say to that person internally you want to bet just watch me and so i went in i said set me up a meeting i went into a a meeting at a, a one of the i'd say probably the top three or four Voice over talent agencies here in Hollywood, and I had no demo reel prepared. I had nothing prepared whatsoever Um, And I just sat in this office with I think it was about seven or eight agents It was I remember it being a small office. It was the partners uh, office and we just chatted and and I just um, Inserted dialects and voices and characters along the way and um, and then said that, I because I had one more meeting to go to, I said, you know, I had a great meeting, thank you. I, um, I'm going to head over to so-and-so competitor. I forget the name. And, um, you know, I, and I literally walked out of the office and my manager called and said, turn around and go back in, they want to sign you. I said, well, we've got another meeting set up. Um, and then I, I kind of realized that one of the things you want to do when you get, when people are excited to work with you, yes, it's fine if you want to go away and have a meeting, uh, and take a beat to think about it. Sometimes you do need to do that, but I don't think you should leave it too long uh, because people's enthusiasm in the moment as, the, as they want to get to work with you and, and, and get things motivated and moving along can wane if, uh, if you wait too long. So yeah, so I signed with them and then I ended up, uh, I think it was, uh, it was actually a, a comic book that I read as a kid. This is one of the cool aspects of doing voiceover was I used to read this comic book called Dan Dare, Pilot of the Future. And um, similar kind of character in a way to Buck Rogers, but, but rather more British and well-spoken, you know, and hopeful and hip, it, right? and well, yes, Dan Dare, pilot of the future. Yes. Come on now, Zonda, we're going to see the Mekon, you know, all of that kind of business. And, and I actually got the role of Dan Dare, which was my first um, animated series. So I, that was just, and then I found out that the actor, the creator of Dan Dare was born in my hometown. And there's a little monument that they, they've put up to him. Um, so yeah it's been a wonderful wonderful ride through i love i love the voiceover community they're just such a great group of people it's pretty small you know we we all tend to know each other um and look we get to go to places like cartoon network and nickelodeon and um you know sit in a in a in a studio and play literally make up voices and yeah sometimes it's two or three voices from you know on this uh, we're doing a scene and it might be I might be playing three characters and I'm voicing all three characters in a scene with myself so I have to switch from back and forth um, and the fans as well I think you know in particularly in video games they they've been they've been wonderful at times the fandom can get a bit similar to our current cultural conversation a bit uh, the loudest, loudest noisiest uh, minority can, can tend to be a bit mobby you know, and, uh, right. and judgmental. But um, yeah, it's been great. VoiceOver's been wonderful.
0: So, what is that ad agency particular that you had that meeting with that they loved you? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, because JP needs to get down there.
1: Oh, it wasn't an ad agency. It was a voiceover talent <laughs> Voice over agency.
0: VoiceOver talent, yes.
1: Yeah, they're no, they're no longer, uh, it was uh, TGI, um, was the name of the talent agency. And they've since, but disp- they had a voiceover. Uh, talent, uh, department and, uh, commercials, um, on camera commercials as well. And they were, uh, I think sp- they were maybe special artists before that. And then they disbanded and the agents went different ways. So one, I believe went to, uh, um, uh, yeah, but, but one of them set up their own voiceover agency, which has become one of the, well, I'd say one of the three, three or four biggest agencies here in town. And another one went to another agency and became a partner um, at that particular agency. But there are really, I'd say, probably four, four or five of the big agencies, and maybe a, a smattering of boutique agencies that represent people. Yeah, but, um, yeah.
0: that's amazing. Cause you, you're a global phenomenon. Voice myself and Nick can attest to this. Uh, I've got about a hundred and fifty square mile radius here in southern Oregon. Everyone knows my voice here you know been working on radio but we, we gotta yeah. get we gotta get a little bit bigger okay putting greg on the spot do your best southern california american accent go
1: well it depends i mean what do you want to call me i was like totally awesome oh. I was so gnarly you know and everything okay. is, and i speak in the same monotone i, didn't say, I didn't say
0: homosexual but that word
1: yeah, i had there i just made a character choice
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean why just because i'm effeminate doesn't mean i'm well why do you say i'm homosexual
0: well, you know, the shoe fits with the voice, at least. Very good. Very good. All right. Okay. Uh, you got one, Nick? I don't. All right. <laughs> Sorry. So voiceover work, man, the kid, I'm, man, I'm just so happy to be sitting here talking with you. Um, should we talk Nick, the film career? I was hoping to stay away from this. Not because it's I'm not interesting. Though. It's because, I mean, I'm assuming Greg with every interview, uh you've ever done it always ends up leading this and people want to talk about Pirates of the Caribbean and Titanic and all all the television stuff you've done I I love sticking with the dad stuff and in, in your book and uh, all the stuff you're doing fighting for all that you're a busy guy uh-oh
1: I apologize my winger is turned off but for some reason it is zinging away oh and that's why because it's on my um there we go. I apologize for all of those listeners who heard that ring-a-ting, ting, ting.
0: Is it on your iMac too? Yeah, I had to turn mine off. I forgot that. <laughs> that
1: was that was what got me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Nick, it's okay. Nick, I'll leave, I'm giving you the conch for a sec. For what? What are we you doing? You were, you were very interested. You want to talk movies?
2: Yeah, I do. I want to. So Star Trek. I you were, you were in the the remakes, right? The updated versions. Yes. I love those movies. Tell me about your experience. Is there another one coming?
1: Uh, my experience on Star Trek. So, uh, well anecdotes, let's see. Um, I played in the 2009 movie, uh, chief engineer Olsen, the original engineer of, um, the enterprise. And, um, I remember get, get, having my wardrobe fitting and, um, uh, uh, the Chris, uh, Chris Pine was in a, a I think he was in yellow and John was in, um, blue no Chris was in blue and John was in yellow and I was in red and I didn't know I'd appeared in I'd appeared in them the the season finale episodes of uh, Deep Space Nine but I just didn't know the folklore the of the red shirt so um when JJ saw me's he's like pretty cool man so you know you, you get to wear the red shirt or the red skydive suit and I'm um, like yeah red I love you know great color and he's like yeah and uh, you you die uh, like like them all I'm like well, yeah. What do you mean, like them all? He said, "Oh, the law." And he told me about the law of it. And then he joked and said, "You know, don't be too despondent. You know, Chief Engineer Olson may come back. Well, maybe we'll bring you back, and we won't have you in an uh, an obvious red shirt, uh, and you'll die. And you can be the Olson twin." And I think he was making some kind of joke, but uh, about the Olson twins. But. um and then we were talking about accent and dialect. I never thought that Chief Engineer, Chief Engineer Olsen in the Star Trek movie would end up with a, with a, a Northern Yorkshire or Leeds accent. But um, that came about simply through a conversation that I had on set. JJ asked me, you know, literally said, so what are you thinking in terms of the backstory of the character and where he's from and some of the history? And I just opened my mouth to speak. And Chris Pine, who was close by listening in says, he's from Leeds. In he's like right from Leeds, and he did the most amazing Leeds accent. And I was like, and I was a bit taken aback. And JJ goes Leeds to me. I go, yeah, he's actually really bloody good at that. He's like talking like from Leeds all the time, very in your face, very like clipped and ear. And uh, and I was just started talking, and JJ went, "That's it, great. He's from Leeds." I went, uh, well, "Okay." Um, so that's that's how sometimes those kinds of decisions are made. Um, but it, yeah, it was a, a, a very secretive set. We would travel to set um, in golf carts with uh, with um, uh, uh, there were well, you couldn't see in because the paparazzi. Everything was kind of secret and coded. And I remember filming at Paramount, and we literally had to travel about sixty yards from the trailers to the set, which is in the was in the car park out there, the parking lot as it's called. Um with mirrors on the ground as we filmed this scene, which was quite cool. Just I got lowered onto the mirrors, looking up and the camera shot down, but the reflection was of the sky, so it wasn't CGI, it was actually just clever use of mirrors oh, <laughs> while JJ was shaking the camera and I was looking up, going, Two hundred meters or whatever. Um and, uh, and and we literally got we got into the the Pope Mobile as we called it, like all covered and in our and drove for about in this golf cart for about fifteen seconds and then got out. And John Cho was like, well, that was worth it. Wasn't it great. We've got that security because it really didn't matter because then we were out in the open. So people were taking photographs anyway. It was a wonderful movie to be part of. Um, I was more of a star Wars person than star Trek before <laughs> then. And, and still kind of, well, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't worked that one out in terms of, uh, that kind of, that impressed me. The movie impressed me. Uh, I thought the script was uh, very impressive and, um, because the, there's a tendency, or I had felt up until that point, that, that movies like Star Trek were kind of really for the fandom and the in crowd. And unless you knew the lore and the history, you couldn't really take part as on an equal playing field as, as others, and, or a more equal playing field in terms of experience. But I think that movie really addressed some of that. Um, it honored some of the the folklore um, of Star Trek, a lot of the folklore, um, redefined some of it. And I thought the opening sequence in particular was just so phenomenal.
2: It was a great movie. Yeah, I was afraid it was going to be a little too soap opera and kind of a little too just rom-com and J.J. Abrams did a great job with keeping it true to the originals and
1: He's a wonderful director, a lovely fellow, and really has a great vision. And he's so smart, knows what he's doing.
0: So my question, as far as this is concerned, is one of my. I'm looking at your list here. I'm looking at the Wikipedia again. And by the way, Wikipedia got the Star Trek right. You, you nailed it. it. It had your name, your cast, and the year correctly. So applaud whoever decided to do that. You were in Dexter. <laughs> What role did you play in Dexter? Cause this is like one of my favorite shows It's actually coming back. Yeah. Uh, the new season starts literally in like a week or two. Um,
1: yeah. It's actually directed um, the series director. I don't think he directs every episode, but his series director is uh, Sanford Bookstaver, Who's a friend of mine and Clancy Brown is a good friend of mine. Is, uh as is, he's in the cast of the new Dexter. So what character did I play? I think his name was Jonathan Farrow. The, the first innocent victim of Dexter, by the way, oh. um, um i get well i'm gonna spoil it for people who want to watch the episode but it's been out for a while so i might as well say um yeah we're 13
0: years later i think we're good
1: yeah i think so too uh i get chopped into into well i get you know machete treatment on the neck and slain in that way as i've been wrapped in the um what's it called cling film or cellophane or Uh um naked which was interesting filming that scene um i'm particularly you know rehearsing in my trailer and john lithgow walking in mistaking my trailer for his and I'm lying on the floor naked rehearsing a scene. Um,
2: That's true story.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and uh, yeah, so first innocent victim he kills me and then realizes at the end of the, right the very end of the episode that I wasn't the killer after all. Um, it was, uh, I think it was my assistant, uh, my, my character's assistant and how, um, you know, we, we joked about my, my ghost coming back in the imagination of Dexter um, to haunt him because he killed, at least he could justify it, that he was doing some kind of um, vigilante good for society, however dark and his serial killer mind was. But you couldn't do that with an innocent victim. I didn't deserve to die. I may have been, my character may have been morally, you know, abhorrent and objectionable. It was tough filming those scenes at the nightclub with three women scantily clad, um, you know, climbing all over me. Um,
0: yeah, that sounds real sneaking. difficult.
1: Well, it's, you know, we have to endure a lot as actors. So uh.
0: (laughs) I uh, dressed up as Dexter and my lady was a victim for Halloween a few years back. And I kid you not. And I have pictures to prove it. We wrapped her up in cellophane and that was it. And we went out and partied, but it was enough cellophane to, you know, do its job so we could go out in public. But uh, yeah, we were a hit that year, man. actually, let me rephrase. She was a hit that year. I was just, you know, the guy There's that was something. hanging on, on her elbow <laughs> like you per normal. All right. He, he is Mr. Greg Ellis, a warrior, a champion for fatherhood and parental rights. Um, what was the name of that book? One more time for everyone watching and listening to this episode. Um, and any other information as far as I have a, this this episode is gonna generate a lot of buzz. I know it is, um, at least for the people who watch it on our end. And I want them, I I, I want them to go. And, and, and do everything they can to get all the information they can from you yeah. um, to help them out. Because, you know, like Nick said, he wishes he had you 10 years ago and I guarantee there's someone out there right now listening to this, watching this episode, who's like, <clears throat> I need the man's help or at least the advice. Where do we go?
1: Well, yeah, well, first of all, if there is anyone out there going through this um, you're not alone. That's all I would say. And, and even though it feels like it's, it's completely hopeless at times there just waves of existential angst and terror sometimes, ride that wave. Uh, if you're not going through it, but you suspect you know someone who is, reach out to them, you might just save a life, or at least you'll just um, maybe maybe make someone someone's mouth turn a little more upward, which I think we all need a bit more of. The Respondent is the name of the book, The Respondent, Exposing the Cartel of Family Law. Um, I, I have uh, Johnny Depp was kind enough to write the introduction to the book. Alec Baldwin wrote the forward. Um, uh, therespondent.com, you can find there all of the information about uh, my book, the audio book that comes out on December 7th, uh, my episodes, video, and podcast series for The Respondent. Uh, there is um information on my non-profit which is the charitable extension of the respondent that's called cpu or children and parents united and our mission with cpu is really to to promote and um, improve child well-being uh by providing information uh resources and programs to policymakers, legislatures practitioners and, and mainly the general public um, resulting in enhanced relationships and reduced conflict for those children and parents navigating our current family law systems and we have three main areas that we focus on CPU communication mediation and law so uh, how can we better communicate uh, so that we don 't have to go into mediation how do we mediate through our differences um, through you know resolving conflict disputes? And if you really feel like there is no alternative and you want to end a union, then we have a legal legal team that will help draft up and draw up that settlement agreement. Uh, And ultimately all three of these programs are to keep people out of court and the inescapability of attorneys billable hours and just the dysfunctionality and the unfairness within the legal system.
0: There you have it, Mr. Greg Ellis movie star tv star voice actor and champion warrior you're a warrior uh thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and talking with two dads from oregon on dadcast much appreciated you're amazing um again uh we have a date with my children at some theme park sometime in the future i'm not sure if you committed to that but i I, that's what i heard earlier (laughs) and- <laughs> you might want to ask
1: them about that first <laughs> one of
0: them actually just my oldest just walked in she just got out of school i don't know if you saw me you're you're doing the pitch there and i told her to come here and she's like she she, she panicked and she's the best looking one of the bunch too we're talking like 510 supermodel stuff i am in serious trouble trust <laughs> me uh but yes we we will have to clear it through them
2: as well uh nick you got anything man Oh, thank you, man. This this was amazing. This was like so much good information. And I, you know, like you said, if anybody's out there needs help, ask.
0: There, you there, there is help. You're not alone. You're right. So. And to everyone listening and watching, thank you very much. If you are watching this on the YouTube channel, please subscribe, like, comment, do all the good stuff. And I will link below um, all the information, all the links I can uh, that Mr. Greg Ellis just uh, talked about. And we'll see you all next week. Have a great rest of your day.